Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, if the old saying is true, a pitcher paints a thousand world words, then what does the new portrait that was unveiled at the White House today? Say about where we've been, where we are, and what comes next in the Oval Office, in the White House, and in the United States of America. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, today, former President Barack Obama's official portrait was unveiled at the White House. Uh, Typically a lighthearted event, and of course, lots of politics going on around it. And so helping us break all of that down, Olivier Knox, of course, is a national political correspondent at the Washington Post and anchor of the Daily 202 that we rely on so heavily for great insight. And Olivier, uh, you did some great uh, pre, and now we're going to get some post reaction in terms of what took place at the White House today. But just give us a little backstory in terms of uh, why now on the uh, Obamas, both uh, the former president and the former first lady having their official portraits unveiled. Right. So for the, for the first time in 10 years, we have this fairly uh, modern tradition at the White House um, of, of the formal unveiling of the past presidents. The, the, the last one was in, uh, in May of 2012 when George W. Bush and Laura Bush were welcomed by Barack Obama and Michelle Obama to the White House for the unveiling of their portraits. Um, and as I, as I said in the piece, you know, typically this is a pretty lighthearted thing. Um, but with the benefit of hindsight, there was one one line in Barack Obama's uh, speech 10 years ago that stands out. It was sort of namby-pamby at the time, but it stands out, talking about how it's not just the revel- not just the reveal of a picture. It is also part of the tradition of the peaceful handover of power, and that's why it's important to do this event at the, um, a- at the White House. And it is, I mean, it is chock full of politics, and today was no, it was no different. Yeah, and it was uh, very fascinating to watch. I think there were some really interesting nuanced moments there. Uh, I actually thought Michelle Obama gave the speech of the day, and, and not just the uh, – everyone's kind of focusing on the dig at the uh, former president, uh, but really the the, uh, the message of hope and, and what this institution and, and what that address, uh, most famous address in the world, uh, has to do. Yeah, Michelle Obama did the heavy lifting today, didn't she? Yeah. Um, she, uh, she did have, she did 
uh, recall the importance of the peaceful handover of power, which normally would not be a dig of any kind, except, of course, that uh, we had the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol and Donald Trump is still demanding uh, that uh, he be reinstated or that the election be rerun, claiming falsely that he was cheated out of a second term. Um, but she did have that line. And then she did have, you know, what I will probably describe in tomorrow's column as kind of a, a callback to Obama's uh, slogan, the audacity of hope. Yeah. Um, which was very interesting, talking about the importance of representation. I mean, for obvious reasons, these are two portraits that will look nothing like the other portraits on the wall at 1600 Pennsylvania. It was the first black family to have this, uh, to to live there. And um, she did have a big callback and talked about the the importance of having her picture, uh, her portrait rather, up on the wall somewhere in uh, in the residence or in the East Wing, and how that sends a signal to people. It sends a signal to, uh, for example, little black girls that someday, you know, if she could make it to first lady, maybe someone else could make it to president. And so that was that was really pretty powerful. It was. I thought it was uh, an extraordinary moment. Again, put all the politics aside. I thought that was uh, just some very interesting moments. And uh, the president, of course, was former president was always uh, so great in terms of delivering some of those things. It kind of made everyone think back. Wow, we haven't had that for a while, <laughs> regardless of who was in the Oval Office. We weren't getting that kind of uh, oratory uh, coming out. But uh, I want to go uh, kind of behind the scenes, something that you pointed out in your in your piece today. Uh, there's always, the, of course, the the kind of inter-office politics uh, in in yeah. terms of the uh, relationship between former President Obama and President Biden. Their staffers, there's always a lot of loyalty between the president's office and the vice president's office. Who's being slighted? What did you see and how do you think that played out today? They really tried to counter uh, all the stories about the simmering tensions between the Biden camp and the Obama camp. You know, the the last time Obama was at the was at the Biden White House was in April for a health care event. And he started his remarks by saying, uh, thank you, Vice President Biden, which, you know, made the room kind of laugh um, <laughs> nervously. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. a little nervously. Yeah. Um, but but a lot of a lot of Biden folks felt that that was disrespectful, whether intentional or not. Yeah. Um, and. And it went back to the feeling from some in the Biden team that the Biden folks never really accepted them and never really respected them. And boy, howdy, did Biden and Obama today try to put all that stuff to rest. You had Biden give this long recitation of the accomplishments of the Obama era. You had Obama talking about passing the baton to his former vice president and how his former how America is lucky to have his former vice president as president now. So they they definitely I mean, I can't read their minds, but it felt certainly felt like they knew they had to come in and sort of scotch all these rumors of uh, of any kind of tension. Yeah, most definitely. And I thought that uh, baton passing uh, segment for, from uh, President Obama was uh, particularly stirring and, and I think pretty thought provoking in terms of the role of a president that you take that baton, you go like crazy uh, and then you pass it on. Uh, and all you have left is, is what you did and, and uh, what you accomplished there. Uh, I wanted to get your perspective, Olivier, in terms of uh, some of the politics and in terms of some of the things where the obviously President Biden's poll numbers have struggled. Uh, I'm sure there was some debate in here of is is this the right time to do this? Because there's going to be a lot of wonderful feelings and warmth. And again, such a great orator in President Obama. Does that make President Biden look weaker or less strong, especially going into these crucial midterms? I don't I don't think so. I mean, the kinds of people who tune in this event uh, closely are, you know, journalists (laughs) and then 
and then paid staffers and blood relatives of the president, of the president and the former president. Uh, I mean, it's a cute, it's a cute little event, but I don't think, I don't think a lot of I mean, people will tune it in, and it'll be on the evening news. Don't yeah. get me wrong; this is going to be one of those, well, this is going to be one of those nice little, you know, nice little features about politics that doesn't include, uh, you know, rabidly angry, angry. attack ads or, yeah. or, or what have you. Um, and that was the that was the one. It's the emotion that dominates American. Uh, politics, but but it certainly was absent from this event. Um, and I, so you know, I don't think this has much of an impact either way. I know that that uh, Obama has now taken the plunge in the midterms. He's doing fundraisers for every major uh, Democratic Party committee. So the people in charge of uh, helping Senate candidates, House candidates, the regular old Democratic National Committee, and then this this new body, which basically uh, uh, is is watching over redistricting nationally and objecting where Republicans draw what they consider to be overly Republican lines. Um, he's going to do campaign, uh, ca- individual campaign and get out the vote events. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that I said to Pete today is they're very different politicians. You know, Joe Biden always feels like he's still campaigning in Delaware where he goes down to the fire station and does some grip and grin. Okay, yeah. always. And, and Obama always seemed like he didn't like the rope line where he had to shake hands with voters. And he preferred the sort of more cerebral and more modern approach of building this massive internet machine yeah. um, that helped him capture the White House twice. So the, the, the thing is, the Democrats need both of these guys. They need both of these styles. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the the familiar tones of Barack Obama from the presidential lectern, um, you know, that maybe invites a, a comparison of their rhetorical styles. But I don't think this does anything. I mean, I don't think this moves the needle one way or another. Yeah, and I and I think the uh, the part of your piece I, I loved was the fact that for the Democrats they've they've got to have both they've got to have both the uh, yep. the innovative and the online and they also still have to get out and press the flesh and and shake those hands and uh, grip and grin as you said uh, anything else you're looking at as we kind of make this pivot we've hit Labor Day uh, the the countdown is on to November the eighth uh, anything else especially as Congress comes back into session this week. Yeah, there are a couple of things I'm watching. One is, are Democrats going to successfully push forward with legislation that would codify a right to same-sex marriage, for example? You know, um, in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision on abortion, they've, they've been relatively successful in terms of registering women voters and in terms of sending them the message nationally um, that they represent uh, the, the, the right to access to abortion, and Republicans would take that away. Uh, they've quoted Justice Thomas's ruling in there where he talked about reversing the, uh, the right to same-sex marriage, the right to same-sex intimacy, um, and, and the right to uh, to marital, married couples using contraception. So they've really painted this picture of you know reproductive freedom versus reproductive tyranny. I'm curious to see how how successfully they push ahead with these votes. It'll make a lot of Republicans pretty uncomfortable. Um, that's one thing. And then the other thing I'm watching is uh, my colleague at CNN, Kevin Liptak, reported the other day that Biden plans to do two or three campaign events a week. That would be a much more robust schedule than he's kept up in the last year and a half and a much more robust schedule than he kept up during the 2020 campaign. You can blame COVID, obviously, but I sort of wonder, you know, are they actually going to be able to keep to that schedule? Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. We will continue to watch that as well. Olivier Knox, national political correspondent at The Washington Post, anchor of the Daily 202 that we always look to as an inside source. Uh, Olivia, thanks for helping us paint the picture about the picture and where, <laughs> and where we go next. Thanks for joining us as always. My pleasure. Uh, always appreciate Olivier Knox. Uh, he's he's really strategic in terms of his thinking. Uh, his daily two hundred two is 
is so concise, so specific. It's always helpful to get a perspective beyond just the headlines. And uh, again, a picture does paint a thousand words, so much so that we're going to come back to this. I'm going to share with you some of the words from the former president, from the former first lady, that I think are really important to paint the picture about where everyone, regardless of political party, need to go next. Stay with us. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.